Thanks for listening to the River Claremont podcast. We pray you are encouraged by today's message. For more information or to stay connected with what's happening at the river, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the River Claremont. Last week we started a series on Jehovah. I'm going to run for it for a few weeks. As I said, in the midst of everything going on in this concert, it's good to remind yourself of who Jehovah is. Our God is a mighty God. Do you believe it? Amen. Say amen. amen. So last week we spoke on Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is there. The presence of the Lord is a reality that is incredible. When I was in Bible college, they were teaching concerning the presence of the Lord and how God moves in atmospheres and supercharges an atmosphere. And we encourage you as you're here today, I may be the one speaking, but what you're doing sets the atmosphere of this room. If you're hungry for God and pressing into the Spirit, then it's like an invitation for the glory of God to fill this auditorium and touch every single person in this room. And so never come to church with the idea that I'm a spectator to be ministered to. Come to church with the idea that I'm going to pour out what I, my hunger, my thirst on the inside to invite Jesus to move mightily in our midst. Amen. And then when that happens, man, the glory of God fills the place. People encounter Jesus. People that came in depressed leave full of joy. People that came in suicidal leave full of vision for their lives. Come on. People that came in sick leave healed in their body because that's who Jesus is. If you believe it, say amen. amen. He matters. His presence matters. Jehovah Shammah, the glory of the Lord. Train yourself to, to, to get into the presence of the Lord. Don't just be a person that always requires a worship team to get you into the presence of the Lord. In school, they told us there was three ways to tap into the anointing of God, which I believe there's ultimately four I could list. You could, you could worship the Lord until you get into the presence of the Lord. But they said you could preach the anointing or the presence of God into the room. And at this time in Bible college, I was, I was terrified of public speaking. So I was like, that's never going to, that ain't happening for me. So that's a big check X mark on that one. So then they said you could sow into the giving makes a way. The Bible says your gift makes room for you. There's things that the Lord will lay on your heart. Anybody in here ever had the Lord have you step out and give something maybe of great value? What did that do? It's like the glory of God filled the place. The Bible even says specifically about Cornelius and the opening of the Holy Spirit outpouring in that house that it was his daily gifts that went up before God as a sweet-smelling aroma that drew the attention of the Heavenly Father to say, Peter, you will go to that house, and I will pour out in that house as I poured out on the day of Pentecost to this family because of what he's doing. Your gift makes a way. Amen? Amen. And so that's not always something of monetary value. It's not like the Lord is impressed with a diamond. He probably has way more than De Beers. Not probably. He does. Right. And so, God, it's not monetary things, it's things of great value to you. Your alabaster box, so to speak, is what matters to you. And giving that, God is worshipped in it, and the glory of God responds. But then they said you could pray the anointing in the room. And as a Bible school student, I said, I'm broke, I don't have a lot to give. I have a library card, <laughs> which I did give in the offering, which they did call me and say, could you please come get your library card? And I was like, but I gave it to the Lord. And I learned a lot that even though I felt it was an offering, the church leadership did not feel 
that it was an offering. It was all that I had, though. So I was like, be glorified, God. Come on. Anybody ever given your library card to the Lord? Anybody ever taken your shoes off in church and given them to the Lord before? Come on, raise your hands. Oh, yeah. And people are like, what's that smell? It's the glory. It's unto the Lord. Say, why did I do it? Did God need my shoes? No, he didn't need my shoes, but I needed to give something to the Lord. And so it's like when the angel of the Lord would show up, they're like, let us make you a meal. Let us go slay a calf. Let's make something for you, God. You're so holy. You're so wonderful. We just want to honor you. But so when I was in Bible college, I had a Ford Ranger pickup truck, and I would pray every morning, even though I was tired, because I got up at 417, exactly 417, when I slept in my work clothes to get to my work. It was quite a ways away and clock in at five o'clock in the morning at Moffitt Cancer Center. So I would wake up, drive, and you know at 417, your mind's telling you everything. You're tired, you're exhausted, you should drop out of school, no one cares about you. You know, all those things that I say is like Trash Talk Radio 666 with your host, Lucifer. Everybody has that radio station where, you know, you're ugly, you're, you're a loser, you're never going to amount to They don't care about you. Your mom didn't even send you a birthday card. Who cares? You didn't send her one for the last 10 years either, you loser. <laughs> so you, sometimes you got to shut that voice off and decide, that's not what I'm listening to right now. I don't like this song. I'm going to listen to a new song. And I pray, and I remember praying until the atmosphere of my pickup truck would change and the glory of God would fill the place and my arm hair would stand up. And I just remember in those moments when God showed up and it's just me in a pickup truck. I can't sing good. I don't have a worship team backing me, but just me, just from the genuineness of my heart, crying out to the Lord, he would respond to that. And then all the doubt, all the fear, all the heaviness, all the tired, the fatigue would be lifted off of my shoulders and I would feel just the presence of God be with me and fill me with joy. And that's how you're supposed to live. You can live like that. So decide, I'm going to live like that. 2021 is going to be the best year yet. Because I believe in the presence of the Lord. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. But today we're speaking about Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Peace. Come on. Judges 6, through 24, where this comes from in the word of God. It says, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It is all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid. You will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he named it Yahweh Shalom, or Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah, in the land of the clan of Abiezar, to this day. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. So speaking about peace today, I, I googled it. What is peace? Just to see what the world says. And they gave two definitions for peace. Freedom from disturbance and the absence of war is how we define peace in this modern generation. Freedom from disturbance. What does freedom from disturbance mean? Well, ultimately, they're talking about peace is that moment you lock yourself in the bathroom and have your bath bomb and you throw it in there and the kids are gone shopping with dad and you're like, peace. Um, and for men, it's when you're up in that deer stand you hear a rumbling in the trees, and you're like, oh, yeah. Peace, sucker. 
Men don't need our bubble baths. We need, we need trees. We need mountains. We need fish guts. We need cool stuff. If it doesn't smell like leather or go boom or cut you, then really are we in a peaceful moment? Someone says, don't you just want to snuggle up by the fire with a book? No. I want to build a raging fire, stick some steel in it and hammer it out and make a knife and then go ahead and chop something up. It's peaceful. Don't you feel the peace? <laughs> All right, come on, let's have fun today. It is the first Sunday of the year. Laughed often. That's what my hours think. So being free from disturbance, so powerful, actually, when you think about it scripturally, the peace of God, 1 John 4, 15 through 18 says, all who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them. Who in here declares that Jesus is the son of God? If you declare Jesus is the son of God, stand up on your feet, lift your hands and give him a great big shout of praise. Is he the son of God? Is he the risen king? Is he the mighty one? Is he the victorious one? Jesus! Come on! Then you have God living in you. Who has God living in you? Does God ever get scared? Do you feel that God ever cowers in the corner saying the enemy's got a really good plan? Does God ever look at lack and say, what am I going to do now? No, when God is living in you, every problem just becomes a testimony of what he's about to do. Nothing intimidates our God. May the word of the Lord be this year. Let nothing intimidate you because if God be for you, who can be against you? Come on. Stick out your chest, you know. Be bold. Okay. I felt that. Boy, I felt that. We can stop right there. I think that's, okay, close your Bibles. We can go ahead and begin fast track this morning. I think we've got the message. God is peace. He is good. They have God living in them, and they live in God. So powerful. We know how much God loves us. We have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus. Come on. We live like Jesus here in this world. Who lives like Jesus here in this world? Man, that's powerful. We live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. We're not disturbed by anything. You know why? Because we we're not afraid of anything. We're not afraid of pestilence. We're not afraid of war. We're not afraid of famine. We're not afraid of lack. We're not afraid of armies rising up. We're not afraid of anything. We're not afraid of death. Why? Because the love of God has cast out all fear. There is nothing to fear as a born-again believer. If God is with you, it's going to be okay. Do you believe it? Let me tell you something. I feel... Going into 2021, it's a year to just ask the Lord, man, give me boldness, God. And may I live like this is my last year to live. May I give everything I've got. May I go all in and hold nothing back. May the fear of political correctness be removed from my life. I'm sick and tired of letting some hypocritical, made-up, 
lollygag, whatever world, they, them, tell me what I'm supposed to believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the word. I believe in righteousness. I believe in holiness. I believe there's two genders. I believe there's one way, and his name is Jesus Christ, and I'm not ashamed to shout it from the rooftops till the whole world knows. Jesus Christ is the only way. Say, are you arrogant when you do it? No, it's not arrogance. It's love. That's what the Bible says. It's perfect love casts out all fear. Do not be afraid about if you're going to make it through this year. Do not be afraid about sickness. Do not be afraid about lack. Do not be afraid about failure. Too many people in the church are too scared to step out and try something because they're worried they might fail. If you're going to fail, fail big. Come on, somebody. Make that decision. Say, I, it's going to be big no matter what. Either I'm going to see great success or I'm going to fail so big they'll talk about it the rest of my life. But you better get out the way because mediocrity is not going to be a part of 2021. I'm going all in for Jesus. I'm going to give more. I'm going to shout more. I'm going to dance more. I'm going to dance bigger. Come on. It may be ugly, but it's going to happen. People live so much of their life afraid. What are people going to think about me? Most people don't think. So don't even worry about it. We had this conversation the other Most of the time you're like, what are you thinking about? It's like, it's like someone's pulling you out of the zone of nothing. You're in the vacuum of just la, 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 and they're like, hey, 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 what are you thinking about? Nothing. Do I have to think all the time? This muscle is not as strong as you think it is. I got to let it have a break, okay? So afraid. What do people think about me? Who cares? Who cares? What do you think about you? What does he think about you? Are you living from the place of that freedom to say, you know what? I'm going to just live big for Jesus. Amen. I'm just going to just go all out. I'm tired of any questions. I want people to know who I'm associated with. His name is Jesus. I may even get a tattoo right across the neck. Hey, Zeus. We are not disturbed. Peace is freedom from disturbance. We are not disturbed from news articles. We are not disturbed of rumors. We are not disturbed from political agendas. We are not disturbed by even whatever plays out this year on this national level. I am not disturbed by it. I don't care what happens. I can tell you this. I am still of a kingdom that is unshakable. And as long as there is blood flowing through my veins and air in my lungs, I will use this life for God's glory. Do not be afraid. All throughout time, the Bible shows us, number one, that sometimes hard things God actually used to turn people's hearts back to him. Yeah. You say, does God just want me to have a good college education and a lot of money in the bank? No, not if you're going to hell. Right? right? Yeah. Say, but he, he's a good God. Yeah, he's so good, he doesn't want you to split hell wide open. He loves you enough to lead you. And sometimes, look at, the, the, the word, sometimes God looks at a nation and he's like, man, I need to reach these people. And years ago, this is not recent, years ago when I was in the middle, about 2012, 
I was praying and asking the Lord about what his plan for America was. Because I felt, I felt like we've been in the end times ever since I got saved. You know, if you haven't been saved in a good Pentecostal Holy Ghost outpouring service where you feel like this week he's coming, then you are not living the saved life. If you ain't waking up every day like, I don't know if I got time for lunch today. He may, he may be here before lunch, so I better make breakfast count. If the, if the thought is when somebody's like, you can invest in this in 27 years from now, get a return. If you're not like, bro, I will be here 27 years from now. 27 months is not even likely. 27 days is iffy. 27 hours is still questionable. 27 minutes, I think he's going to let me have a lunch break. I got saved like that. I remember thinking... He's coming back this week, you know? And I'm like, you're calling all your old friends. Bro, 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 don't hang up. Don't, don't, don't hang up. Hey, we haven't talked in a while. I just want you to know something. Jesus is coming back soon. Do you, Je, Jesus, Jesus. No, no, Jesus. Not, no, not him. No, not that guy. Jesus. And you're talking to him because you felt the urgency. And so desperate for people to know Jesus because you're like, at any time. This world could just no more. And so I want people to know Jesus. But it's like there's a peace that comes in the midst of that of just, I know who I belong to. I know that the moment I got radically saved, it doesn't matter how much time I have on this earth. I know where I'm going. You cannot kill a Christian. Amen. You know what I'm saying? You, you can do whatever you want, but we are literally unsinkable. You can't kill us. All you can do is change our address. So go ahead and change, baby, because I promise you, my house over there looks better than my house down here. <laughs> Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> it's like there's a peace that comes on the inside of you when you understand the God that you serve. God does the impossible. Nothing should intimidate a believer no matter what and I shared this in the first service I want to share it in this service we we are of a network of river churches there's probably like 20 something 30 something river churches now internationally we have churches around the world and one of them's in Port-au-Prince in Haiti which if you know anything about Haiti extreme poverty you know they're known for voodoo and 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 all that stuff that goes on the real dark area and the pastors from Haiti I was, I was with them. This has been several years back, and I, 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 was, I was with them, and um, they were telling me a story. They said, yeah, we live in dire poverty. They don't have a lot of money. It's not, it's not like they're just extremely wealthy people. Have the church. People are getting saved. It's growing. And then they, they opened up one day and said, we're going to feed people that are, that are starving on the streets of Haiti. So they opened their house, and 10 people came in, and they didn't have much food. So they fed everybody, and then they ate, and then the next day, 10 turned to 20 because they're starving, and they're hungry every day. And so then he looked at his wife. We weren't prepared for this, and she was like, we don't have enough food. He said, honey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray over the meal, and then we're going to give the food to them, and whatever's left over, we will eat up. And so they prayed over the meal. They fed everybody till they were full. Then they ate, and they were full. And the next day, more people came, and they said, we don't have enough food. And he said, we're going to pray over the meal. We're going to feed all of them. Then we're going to feed ourselves. And when it runs out, it runs out. And he said, this has happened for over a year now. 
that every day we pray and there is always enough food to feed everybody, no matter how many people show up. Let me tell you something. It doesn't, God's a supernatural God. God will take care of you. He will clothe you. He will feed you. And so years ago in 2012, I asked the Lord this question. I said, tell me, tell me what America's part is in everything. You know, I'm an American. I love this country. It was born, and I felt the call of God to America. I love the nations of the world, but I, my heart bleeds for America. I believe that God is not finished with this land yet. And so I asked the Lord, what is America's part to play? Because I can't really find it in the Word. And the Lord said this to me, and I want you to grab this. This is what God said. After I asked him what is America's part, he didn't even answer that question. The Holy Spirit responded like this. He said, Caleb, I do not love America. I love Americans. And what the Holy Spirit was showing me is that God is not a God that picks a country. as the pe- He's a God of a covenant with you. And so when he has a covenant with you, his word says that what you stand for, if it's a righteous cost, he will stand with you. So if you stand and say, God, we are standing in the gap for this land and asking you to put your hand upon this nation for the people in this nation that still serve you, the remnant that have not bowed, stand in the gap and say, God, move mightily across this nation. The Lord's covenant is with those people and he will move through those people. Are you with me? But God is not a God that sits up there and picks one particular country to favor over another. He loves people. And people of faith move the heart of God. God is looking to move in this year greater than ever. And I feel that hunger to press in for more. We should not be disturbed by anything. Come what may, do not worry and do not fret about what is going to happen because God is on your side. How many people in here have ever had the Lord supernaturally multiply food like my friends in Haiti have seen. Raise your hand if the Lord has multiplied food. Look at this. Come on, put them up high. This is America, guys. And God is still doing it in this country. 2021, God is still supernaturally doing things. How many people have ever had money appear in your bank account? Raise your hands. All right, all those people with your hands raised, stretch forth your hands right now to me. (laughs) Come on. Come on, son. That's the God that we serve. Say it's impossible. Nothing's impossible for God. I don't know if he's going to multiply the food. I don't know if uh, a guy, a friend of ours in ministry, I don't know if he's still alive. He's, He's well into his 90s. Years ago, the Lord told him he's a pilot. And the Lord said to him in prayer, get into your plane and fly to this city. It was like a three hour flight. And he said to the Lord, Okay, I'll go, because he was asking the Lord for, where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to minister? He gets in the plane, turns it on, and he didn't have any fuel. And he didn't have any money. This is his thought process. The Lord told me to get in and fly to this city. So he's obviously just going to extend the fuel. It's going to be okay. I'm going to land in this city. They're going to take up an offering for my ministry, and I'll be able to put fuel in the plane. So he took off. How many people know this is uncomfortable (laughs) flies fuel light blinking the whole time lands whoo walks gets it gets calls this this church they go there he walks into the church they were having an actual argument about a church split between things going on and the lord sent him there he gave wisdom to him everything came to a good situation 
leaders and elders got back in unison with each other. And then, the, then the, they were like, thank you for coming. And basically that was it. They didn't give him any money. So then he's like going back to the airport like, I don't have any fuel and I have no money. What do I do? And the Lord said, fly to this city. Now he's like, okay, fine. So he gets in the plane, no fuel, takes off, flying with no fuel once again for hours in the air. Fuel light blinking. Just I mean, if you're ever in that situation, you feel like tongues is what's carrying you. So you, you're just like, you don't actually stop. You're like, and if there's ever a sputter, you're like, every scripture about oil is coming to your mind. You're prophesying everything you can prophesy. Lands again in a city. Of course, goes in there, had an extended revival, uh, took up an offering, got the fuel, and flew back home. But that type, of, that type of believer is getting more and more scarce. We need those stories told to this young generation and beyond because people got to believe in a supernatural God. Our God is not a God that only moves with education. He's not a God that says degrees matter. He's a God that says my presence will go before you and make a way where there is no way. He's a God that says if I say it, my word never returns void. It will always accomplish that which it was sent forth to do. Take a stand on the word of God. And either you go out big or you go in the glory for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But let this year, no fear. You're not afraid of anything. Say it out loud. Say, I'm not afraid of anything. I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail bigger than I've ever failed before. It's going to be historic. It's going to be huge. <laughs> Biggest plop in my face because the Bible says the righteous may fall, but they will get back up again. Amen. But beyond that, it's about taking a stand and having the courage to say, I believe that God is a supernatural God. He will not lead me somewhere to abandon me. He's eternal. You have everlasting life, the Bible says, because you chose to believe in Jesus Christ. You will not die. This life is but a vapor, and then it's gone, and you will be in glory. So wars, famines, diseases, recessions, all of these things are seasonal, but you are not seasonal. You are eternal. Come on, somebody. Now think about this. I've been reading the Old Testament, and time and time again, actually, the Lord used famine. Isaac sowed seed in the time of famine, and then supernaturally got such a mighty harvest that the Lord promoted his family and his chosen people through that moment. God used famine once again with Joseph to bring Israel into Egypt, where ultimately it was a prophetic unctioning of what the Lord was going to do and bring salvation out of Egypt, as he even did with Jesus Christ later. God is an awesome God, and he's amazing at what he plans. You just have to have the faith to believe it. So these are tough times, but one story stood out so strong to me, and I want to encourage you with this. I was reading Luke chapter 4, where Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, his hometown. And nobody wants to acknowledge Jesus as somebody, the Son of God. He's just Joseph's son. This is just, we know Joseph, we know Mary, we know James, we know all of his brothers. This is not an impressive person. He's just a kid that was raised here. And when Jesus says this scripture is fulfilled, they get mad at him. So rather than Jesus putting the fire out by encouraging them, he just incites more anger in them to the one point that the Bible says they took him to a hilltop to cast him off the cliff. They were really mad at that time. When someone wants to throw you off a cliff, 
you are not making friends. And so they take him to the cliff, but the Bible says he walks through them because his time was not yet. The Lord was still with him. His time was not there. He walked through them unscathed. But Jesus says this. He says, in the time of, of Elijah and the famine, there were many widows, but only one, woman, one widow from Zarephath was Elijah sent to. And when he says that, it incites them because basically they get more angry because they realize Jesus is saying the people that believe are the ones that get the reward. So they're angry. But I, I started studying that out, and I thought about Elijah. And the Bible and James tells us that for three and a half years, Elijah prayed so fervently that it would not rain on the earth that God responded to that prayer and stopped the rain for three and a half years so that famine struck the land. People were starving. People were desperate. King Ahab was coming to kill Elijah because he knew that Elijah was the one praying because Elijah told him it will not rain for three and a half years. And so here's Elijah praying, and the Bible tells us that he goes to the brook Cherith, and then he's sent to the widow. But it painstakingly, or maybe not painstakingly, but literally tells us that despite the fact that famine was coming and drought was on the land, Elijah's prayer was not, God, will you sustain me? Elijah's prayer was fervently for three and a half years, God, stop the rain. Stop the rain. Hold back the rain so that the hearts of the people come back to you. Elijah, even though times were tough, even though he's standing there praying every day at the brook Cherith, watching the water decline, knowing that's my source, that's my supply in this season, did not give way to the season of that. He just kept his eyes on God and kept praying. And the Lord says, go to Zarephath, and I will supernaturally supply you there. Let me tell you something. Even if things get tight, it does not matter to a believer. Because you serve a God that specializes in tight circumstances. Come on. You say, I've got nothing but. You always have a but. Thank the Lord. I have nothing but a little bit of oil. I have nothing but a little meal and a little bit of oil. I have nothing, God, but this. Thank the Lord that whatever you have is more than enough when you place it in the hands of the Almighty. We can't feed 15,000 people. We have nothing but a little boy's lunch. Bring the little boy's lunch. Because we are about to see God do something supernatural. Come on, somebody. This year, get ready for exciting moments in the glory of the Lord. Are you saying, is that, are you prophesying that it's going to be famine? I'm not saying it's going to be famine. I'm saying don't be disturbed by it. Stop letting the news dictate your mood. Your mood is set on, the, on Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Has he ever abandoned anybody? Never. He will never abandon you. He's on your side. Joseph, Elijah, Elisha, Isaac, all these people lived through famine and saw the hand of the Lord not only supply for them, but actually use it in supernatural ways. The peace of God is a fruit of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Jesus said, it's good that I go away. Because then the comforter can come. The comforter is the spirit of the living God that lives on the inside of you. That gives you a peace that this world cannot take away. Come on. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering. Some people feel like they really got that fruit more than other fruits. <laughs> Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The peace is a fruit of him on the inside of you. Now, John 14, 26 through 27 it says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. 
Peace I leave with you. This is Jesus. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid. Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. I rise in the morning, and I know it's going to be a good day because the Lord is on my side. Amen? Come what may, I can rest and know everything will be okay because God is on my side. Philippians 4, 6 through 9, peace is so important. The Bible says, don't worry about anything. Say that with me. Say, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Stop worrying. Anybody ever worried yourself out of a problem? You worried so long the problem gave up? And you're like, I beat it. Oh, I knew I beat it. I gave it so many bad scenarios, it just gave up. Don't worry about anything. Now, that's not the only thing it tells you. It says, instead, pray about everything. Now, I want to encourage you that everybody at the start of every new year always says, this year I'm going to pray like I've never prayed. I'm going to do what I've never done. I'm going to go where I've never gone. I'm going to do this. And then Monday turns to Tuesday, Tuesday to Wednesday, Wednesday to Thursday, weeks to weeks, months to months, and you're looking at a new year, and you're like, this year, I'm going all in, baby. I want to encourage you this year, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Prayer is powerful. Rick Shelton, a good friend of ours in the ministry that was with us for our fifth anniversary, was the pastor of Joyce Myers, which everybody here knows Joyce Myers, right? If you don't know Joyce Myers, would the ushers please remove the rock from their head? (laughs) She's an awesome woman of God that the Lord has used mightily. And um, she was in his church for many years, did a woman's group. And she came to him one time and said, I'm going to do this. And the Lord said, tell her to pray about it, pray about it. And then comes a season where he's like, this woman is so on fire for God. She's here all the time. She wants to do ministry. So he hired her uh, in the ministry as an assistant to him. him Because he's like, she's got a heart for God. She's here no matter what. I'm going to hire her. He hires her. She comes into the office day one. He greets her. He goes into his office, and the Holy Spirit says, you have to fire her. And he's like, God, this will crush her. I just hired her. I'm the one that gave her this opportunity. What are you talking about? And the Lord says, no, where, you, where I'm going to take her, you can't take her. And if she stays with you, she will link her faith and stay attached to your ministry, and I've got greater things for her. So the day one, he went out there. Just hired this lady. Just She's so excited. Finally working full-time in the ministry. This is the dream of my heart. He looks her in the eye and says, I have to let you go. Day one. But what did I do wrong? I have to let you go. You're not, made, you're not right for this place. Because he couldn't tell her what the Lord said. So this is what he said. He said, I knew in that moment that if this woman showed back up to church on Sunday after having me do that to her, that she was going to be okay. And he said, Sunday morning, I went out to church, three and a half thousand people in the building, and on the front row was Joyce Myers with Dave and all the kids, hands raised, tears coming down her face, still worshiping Jesus. And that is why the Lord has taken her where he has taken her. Because you got to learn, not everything you think you need, do you need. And some seasons, you just got to pray through till the end. Come on. Never underestimate. It's about the journey of what God's building in you, not just the destination of what you think you need to get to. So don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and then thank him for all that he has done. 
Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. The peace of God passes understanding. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise and keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Meditate on the word of God. Meditate on good thoughts. Come on. Shut down bad thoughts. Shut down negative thoughts. Shut down all those lies from hell that come into your mind. It's a constant. Joyce Myers wrote the book, A Battlefield of the Mind. The enemy's greatest tactic is to get into your mind and, to, and, and, and make you believe you've already lost or make you believe you're abandoned or make you believe that God has, has left you. And the thing you've got to guard against is the thought process. Fix your thoughts on thoughts that are pure, that are holy, that are of a good report of the goodness of God. Bring into, capti into captivity every vain imagination or high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God and bring every thought in captivity, the Bible says. Keep yourself in this place where you're like, I will not dwell on negative things. I will not sit there and focus on all the problems at hand. I will not focus on bad things. I will keep my eyes and my mind fixed and stayed on pure, holy things. God is moving right now. Amen. As long as you're still here on this earth, God's still on this earth. So things are about to happen in a great way. Come on, somebody. Amen. So read testimonies of what he's done for other people. That's what so many books are so good about. Like I always talk about R.W. Shambach's Miracles book. Read those things. P.G. Vargas, a man of God from India, has books about his testimony. Kenneth Hagin, all these guys that God has used. Read their testimony. Read what God has done for other people. And then also devour the word. Devour the word. If tomorrow every cell phone in America was shut off and you didn't have access to your apps anymore, how much of the word of God is on your spirit right now to guide you forward? You want to be so consumed with the word of God that you think scripture. Your thoughts should be scriptures. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter if you know if it's Isaiah 63, verse 3. As long as you know the word of God, you don't need to know the address. Come on. People are like, oh, I think somewhere in there it says, thou shalt not swim 20 minutes after eating. <laughs> That's not in the word of God. That's in the book of Imaginations, chapter 3, verse 1. It's in there with a lot of crazy stuff. Devour the word. And how do you train yourself to have a hunger for the Word of God? You say, man, I open the Word, I start to read, it's pretty good, and then I get bored. You have to train yourself to eat right. It's just like if you're retraining yourself to eat naturally. Like, I, I, don't, I haven't eaten McDonald's, I promise you, in probably decades. I have no desire. I can drive by McDonald's and their golden arches and their fries do not scream my name. Their McRib, when I see the commercial, I'm like, why would anybody ever eat that thing? Like, that looks like the most fake thing I have ever seen. And they're like, the McRib, ooh. <laughs> now, if you love it, I'm not trying to pick on you. You're like, back off of my McRib, Pastor Caleb. <laughs> that is how I know the Lord loves me. Then you do you, boo. <laughs> but I can't eat it. I remember in college, I literally bought a quarter pounder, and I stuck it on my dresser, not in a refrigerator, and left it for weeks on end. And that burger looked the exact same 
like two months after buying it, it did not change color. Their flies did not land on it. Nothing wanted to eat it. And that, my friend, is why you should not eat it. One good thing is, if you do live on McDonald's when you pass away, there will be things that never disappear on the inside of you. No, it's eternal. (laughs) Two things that are eternal, your spirit and McDonald's food. (laughs) It will never pass away. (laughs) But listen, if I ate it, regularly, then I would, have a, I would have a hunger for it. And so then I would desire it and I would devour it more intensely. So it's all about reprogramming yourself. What are you taking in? What are you feeding your spirit, man? Train yourself and get warmed up until you've got that hunger to where you rise in the morning and you desire the word of God. Like it is the, it is the, the meat to your bones and the life that you crave. And so you, you wake up and all you can think is, I want to be in the word. I want the peace of God. I want to know the mind of Christ. And if you're not living like that, I'm not picking on you. What I'm saying is you can live like that. We're actually all supposed to live like that. The Bible actually says in Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And I'll, I'll, I'll hit this here in a moment. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell richly. Say richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with the grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So if the Bible says let the word dwell in you richly, you could also let the word dwell in you poorly. And a lot of people let the word of God dwell in them poorly. So peace is something that they have seasonally, not eternally. And so they go up and they go down and they go up and they go down and they live their whole life. One day God is on my side. The next day God has abandoned me and I just don't know about this. And the enemy has always got that inroad to mess with their foundation to where they've lived their life unsure about everything. You are not called to live like that. You're called to have a foundation on the inside of you where if there's famine, there's wars, or there's great seasons of blessing, that you are walking the steps that God has laid out for you, and your firm foundation remains firm your whole life. It's through the Word of God. And the Bible says, let the peace of God rule, or in the King James, be the umpire of your heart. Let peace call the shots, not stress. Never make a decision because you're stressed out and feel like you need to make a quick decision right here. I watch people, and people do this all the time. They go in seasons of their life, and they keep uprooting themselves. They don't like this season, so I'll pluck myself out, and I'm going to move here, and then I'm going to move there, and then I'm going to move there, as if a geographic situation is going to change the foundation of what you're standing on. It's not like it's more firm in Nashville than it is in Orlando. The firm foundation is the Word of God. Let peace rule in your heart. What does that mean? It means when things come up, decisions to make in your life, don't just do a pro and con and like check off, this one's more money, more pay, this is, must be the decision of the Lord. You have to check things through the peace of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Is this the Lord? And if there is stress attached to a decision, I've learned so many times, and I'm like, I should do this, should I not do this? And the whole time I'm stressed, I realize the only reason I'm stressed is because I'm even deciding whether or not I should do it which means I shouldn't do it, and I walk away. And then peace floods my soul. And I know the Lord is pleased with that. God leads you through peace, not through stress. 
and the world puts stress on you to make you make a decision now. There's some midnight hours the world lays upon you that you just need to let come and go. Because you don't live by the world's timeline. You live by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords timelines. Let his midnight hour be your midnight hour. And if things are stressful, you don't make a decision. To back it up biblically, take Elijah, a man of great passion, a man of great power that called fire down on the mountain and stopped the earth from raining. But then after calling fire down, Jezebel came. And when Jezebel threatened his life, he was stressed and he was worried so that he actually opened his mouth and began to flap off saying stuff he shouldn't flap off at. Anybody in here ever flapped off from the mouth and said stuff you shouldn't say? Yeah, you know, Shreen, if you're married, you, cannot, you can't run from this. Your, your spouse will be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. On the way here, pastor. He's just flapping off at the mouth the whole drive. I said, the Lord's going to call you out today, and you calling him out right now. Prophesy, prophetess in the house. We all flap off at the mouth. We all say it. There's times that you should put your hand over your mouth. That's what Job said. I put my hand over my mouth. There's times that you should be like, I just want to, I'm not going to even voice it. My mind right now is not in a state of peace. It's the absence of peace. And I don't want to say anything. And what the Lord did with Elijah, it's not rocket science. Even though it's supernatural, I believe that this is it. The Lord said he fed him a meal and ran him 40 days away from his problem. 40 days and nights in the opposite direction to stick him in a cave. Not because that cave was some super mystical, magical cave that the Lord had formed 2,000 years ago that was going to be this miraculous. It was just a cave, a hole in the wall. It was a bathroom with the door locked and closed. It was a cave where you could get all the other voices out of your head And get the voice that mattered back on the inside of you. That still small voice of God that speaks to you. Day in and day out. Leading and guiding you so that you're walking with that voice. Not the voice of a stranger. My sheep know my voice. And the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Come on somebody. Just because everybody's doing something doesn't mean that that's what you do. You're led by another, another, another guide. His name is Jesus Christ. And he will lead you into all things. And then the Lord brought Elijah to a cave where he spoke to him, and he didn't speak to him about his problem. He spoke to him and gave him the next two steps of his life. These are the next two things that you will do with your life. You'll go and anoint Jehu as king, I believe, and you're going to go anoint Elisha as a prophet in your stead. And then you're going to get the heaven out of here in a golden chariot, and you're going to look really cool. Hallelujah. Moral of the story is this. Do not make a decision when you're stressed out. And some problems you don't even have to address. God will address those problems for you. You let peace be the umpire of your heart. Say, I'm stressed out financially. Then you know what? Just go and lock yourself in the room and and, and pray and seek the Lord. And God will bring you deliverance. You follow the plan of God on your life. A woman, a a mighty woman, an awesome woman, good friend of mine. She was a, a, a pastor for many years with her husband. And... He died unexpectedly in his 50s. She tried to pastor the church, but she was never called to to public ministry. So the church dried up. That was her only source of income. She's in her 50s. She has a daughter, maybe even early 60s at this time. And she said, God, I have no retirement. My husband died unexpectedly. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I, I have just a little, nothing but this. And the Lord spoke to her through the still small voice and said, you take that money that you have. 
You call a stockbroker tomorrow, and you're going to invest in these three letters. She didn't even know what the three letters meant. And she called a stockbroker, never bought stock in her life, said, I have, it was something like $20,000 with their life savings. That's all they had. And I want to buy all of this stock. These are the, the letters of the stock. And the stockbroker said, are you sure you want to buy that? She said, absolutely. She bought it. And within a week, what he didn't know, what she didn't know, what nobody really seemed to know, is that this company was literally being acquired by some major corporation and being paid out. And her income, it went from 20000 that God times it by 10. She walked away with $200,000 in one week from following the still small voice of the Lord. And you say, will God do that for me? Yes, he can do that for you. It might not be that exact story. It's like I remember growing up hearing stories of money appearing in people's cars and stuff. And I was like, God, I gave one time and I ran to the mailbox. I was hounding the mailman like, check for another letter. Check for another letter. I've always heard that there's a check that comes unexpectedly. I have not had that check. <laughs> Where the mailman's like basically like, <clears throat> yeah, I, need, I, got, I got someone down here. Uh, I need, need some backup. You know, it's bad when the mailman's calling him backup on you because you're like every day hovering over him like, the Lord didn't deliver me through money. But I was driving, just so you know, a guy years ago, I'm preaching in, what's it called? Sebastian, Florida. Sebastian, Florida. And I'm talking about God providing for you when you have need. And this man comes forward, a gentleman, an older gentleman, and he's telling me, he said, I, years ago, I married, I have two kids. My wife, she was actually the sole supporter of the family, ran off with another man and left me with the two kids. She disappeared. And he said, I was broken. I didn't know what to do. And um, I think he said he was a custodian at a high school and he's walking, cleaning the whole baseball diamond or whatever. And he says to the Lord, I have no way to take care of my family. We, we really need some financial breakthrough to set us up because my income enough is not enough with what we have going on. And as he's cleaning the bleachers, he comes across a duffel bag and unzips it. And this was in the 1970s, I believe, $25,000 of cash. So he says, I did the righteous thing. I turned it into the police. Said, I found this. Somebody lost $25,000. The police said, if nobody claims it in 40 days, you can come back and claim it. 40 days goes by. He goes back and claims it, and he's $25,000 richer in the 1970s because God put a duffel bag stack full of cash in the bleachers. Isn't that amazing? To me, it's not even the $25,000. To me, it's the faith that puts them on the inside of you to realize there are people desperate all around the nations of the world and God is faithful. Whether he's got to put a duffel bag of cash or multiply a little boy's lunch or make money appear in a bank account or cost some crazy... God does whatever he wants to do and it's always amazing to where you're like, that's beautiful, God. Thank you, Jesus, for that man. Thank you, Jesus, for supplying for that man. I could go on and on. God supplies... No matter what, do not let 2021 be a year where fear is holding you back. Do not be afraid of this year. Do not be afraid of stepping out. If there's something you want to do, then let yourself delight in the Lord so that he gives you the desires of your heart and you step out and you try something you never tried and let God take you where he's never taken you before. Amen? Well, one thing's for sure. You're not going to make any decisions because you're stressed out this year. Nope. 
reject stress. That has no part of your life. You're going to wake up every morning and you're going to feel like a little kid going to Disney World before masks were a thing. You're going to go to Disney World and it's going to be great. They're actually going to have the parade this time. They're actually going to have fireworks for you. Everything's going to be there just like you dream because God is on your side. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So fix your thoughts on the, Lord, on the Lord this year. Fix your thoughts on the plan of God this year. And then remind yourself, encourage yourself of testimonies of what the Lord has done in your life to remind yourself God is still on my side and things are going to be great this year. Amen? All right. So then the, remember I said it's defined as the freedom from disturbance. We will not be disturbed by any news this year. Amen? Wars, rumors of wars, COVID-21, COVID-22, COVID-23, anything, do not let it steal your joy. Do not let it steal your peace. Things come, crazy things happen, famines, whatever, but your foundation remains steadfast. I trust the Lord. I'll stand for his righteousness and his kingdom. And come what may, I can trust that my life is hidden in Christ Jesus. Are you with me right now? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God's peace is not of this world, so this world cannot take it away. But peace was also defined as an absence of war. But I want to tell you something. It's impossible for a believer to be absent from war because you were born into a war zone. The truth scripturally about this world is we are in a volatile war zone where the kingdom of darkness is always trying to take more and more territory And God's children are called to stand in the gap and tell the enemy where he can go and can't go. There's been a fight for your soul since the time you were a little kid. Put it to you this way, just so you understand the spiritualness of it. How many people in here ever had a dream as a kid, a terrifying dream that would constantly recur you where something was chasing you and coming against you? Raise your hand. The majority of people in here. Why is that? Because we all watch Chucky? No, I never watched Chucky. (laughs) It's because the enemy, from the time you were little, wanted to get you so afraid and to fill your life with fear that that became the motivation of your life so that he could guide you through fear. And God is not a God that guides you through fear. And how many people ever had the time that you you went to church, you knew the name of Jesus, and that dream kept occurring and kept occurring and finally used the name of Jesus. And that dream was like, that thing, victory's won. Chop that weird bunny's head off once and for all. You're born in a war. In fact, the very scripture that I quoted that the Bible says, Jehovah Shalom, God is peace. God was visiting Gideon to call him into war. That's when the God of peace shows up. So Gideon said he's the God of peace at the moment that God was calling him to step forward and go to war. And Gideon says, I'm not the one for the job. I'm the least in my family. We're the smallest of tribes. We are not the one to lead this fight. So we are disqualified, unqualified, not good enough, whatever. And that's where Jehovah Shalom shows up and Gideon answers the call to go to war and fight for the cost of heaven. How many people realize that there are some costs that God will call you to go to the front lines in? And when God calls you to the front lines, you talk about ministry, you talk about politics, you talk about education, you talk about business, whatever God is calling you into, you're being called there to take territory and the front line. And if God is calling you there, 
This is where the God of peace actually shows up. That in the midst of a war, when you're standing against spiritual forces coming against you, there's a peace on the inside of you because you know that God is the one that called you there. And if God called you there, you will not be abandoned while you stand there. Come on, somebody. That's the peace that passes understanding. It's not, I don't need all silence and no voices and everything around me to be hunky-dory. I can stand in the midst of a war zone and know that God is leading me forward. You know, I'm a Tennessean originally. And in Tennessee, a weird state, our football team is called the Volunteers. We are called the Volunteers because we have had more people volunteer for the military than any other state. And there's this famous story of Alvin C. York, a sergeant in the United States Army in World War II that was a Tennessean. And he was on the front lines against the German army, army, and there was constant battle, no man's land between them, everybody dying. And Alvin C. York goes to pray in the bunker and says, Lord, we're pinned down. We can't get out of this. And God says, get up, and I will direct your steps. And you go everywhere I tell you to go, and I will watch over you. He stood up and walked through no man's land, led by the Spirit of God, bullets whizzing by, mines all around him, walked straight up behind a German bunker, took over an artillery gun, turned it on the enemy, and took them up, took the ground. And they asked him, how did you find your way through that place? And he said, the Spirit of the Lord gave me every step to walk through that war zone. Every Tennessee boy grows up and hears that story and says, I want to be like Alvin C. York. That's, the, that's what we need in this generation. People to realize that God is not a God that just tiptoes through the tulips as a little lamb. That he's a warrior king with eyes like fire. Come on. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has called his church to rise up and take a stand. And though things may seem tough. Though it might be a war, God is on your side. Jehovah Shalom will give you peace in the midst of any storm. Amen? Amen. So 2021, be like Jesus. Preach the gospel. Lay hands on the sick and take naps on boats. <laughs> Come on, somebody. If you have a boat, I'm open to, you know, you can take me out anytime and I'll take, I'll take a nap there. You know what I love about that story? I love, number one, it's a crazy storm. Everything's going on. The Bible actually takes the time to lay out that Jesus fashioned a pillow. <laughs> so like Jesus is intentional, like, bro, there's a storm. I'm going to make a pillow so that my head is not uncomfortable as I take a nap in the midst of this storm. And then he lays down with his pillow. I thought, man, when you read that, you're like, that is so awesome. Jesus was like, storm, do your worst. I got a pillow. <laughs> so world groan churn do your worst we have a pillow his name is jesus and we will rest in the midst of every storm thanks for listening to the river claremont podcast if you'd like to partner with us in seeing lives touched and changed by the love and power of jesus you can give online at www.riverclaremont.com your prayers and financial support are changing lives.